financially free. Freedom in finances is a big deal for us because money is a big deal. It it's kind of makes the world turn around, you know. Um, but we realize that it's not just a practical issue, is it? It's a deeply spiritual issue. Um, finances and the way that we deal with money. In fact, we looked at the Bible has 500 verses on prayer and faith, and it has 2,300 verses on money and possessions and stuff like that and stewardship. So, I mean, God knew that this was going to be a deal for us, and so he put a lot of stuff in there for us. And so as we're having a look, we looked at this sort of fight for freedom where we looked at how this becomes a battlefield between God and Satan for us and for our attentions, for our souls. The way that we either sort of focus on him or get pulled apart to having this worldly idea of having such a tight grip on our money and our finances um, because of the needs that we have and, and the wants that we have and all of this sort of stuff. And so uh, we looked at John 10.10, 10, uh, where he says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give, them, give us a rich and satisfying life. We talked about that finances becomes the battleground a lot of times where this battle is being fought. Um, and it's, it's, it was good for us to kind of have a look at that. Uh, second week, we looked at ownership versus stewardship, and we, we looked at this idea that we don't really own anything. Um, it's all God's. God owns everything. He made everything. He, you know, literally planted all of the trees that create the wood that turns the pulp, that makes the paper, that makes the money. You know, so he's, he's in charge of everything, and we have just been given, um, we've become stewards of the resources that we have for a purpose, and so aligning ourselves with that purpose and aligning ourselves with God gives us freedom because it puts us in the right headspace and the right heart space when it comes to the things that we have in our lives. Right, so this week we're tackling another um, aspect of this because we talked about, again, um, this is not really about money, is it? Financial freedom isn't really about money. What it is about is our attitudes towards money, the way that we think about money, the way that we feel about money, the way that our minds and hearts and souls start spinning around the subject. And so we've been looking at different attitudes towards it, and so that ownership versus stewardship was an attitude. And today we're looking at another attitude that I'm going to introduce through the immortal Michael Douglas here. Greed for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. All right. Greed. You know, it's interesting, because this movie actually kind of became, Wall Street's the name of the movie, if you haven't seen it, and then its sequel again later, Wall Street Money Talks, that just recently came out. Um, it just really became this, this sort of microcosm about the way that the world views 
money, and greed. Because the movie portrays this guy as the bad guy, right? He portrays him as eventually he's, he goes to prison because he's embezzling or whatever he was doing. And uh, it's just greed is bad, right? We've got this greed is bad connotation throughout the movies. And yet, the speech that he just gave there has undeniable logic in it for the way that the world functions and the way that the world works. He says greed is necessary for the evolutionary system to work. And it is. The way people live in a God-less sort of way, this makes the most sense. And we're going to get into some of that in a little bit. But it's just very interesting that he kind of cuts through all of the things that we try to tell ourselves about greed being bad, and he cuts to the heart of what the human condition is. Greed is good. Greed gets me what I want. Greed pushes us forward, even if it pushes others downwards while we do it. So just a very interesting concept. But again, it kind of clashes with a God-filled way of looking at the world, doesn't it? And that's what we're going to look at. But before we get into it, I realized when I was trying to think about greed, I was getting a little bit turned around, especially when I was thinking about what is the opposite of greed. And I was going back and forth between these two things, and I realized there's actually a couple of different ways of looking at greed. There's different types of greed, um, and that plays out different ways. So the first type is this Gollum greed. You don't know our friend Gollum. There was, there was supposed to be um, sound with that. I'm going to go again because it was such a good moment. No, didn't hear it again. Do it one more time. There it is. <laughs> My precious. So, Gollum greed is this idea. You remember Gollum from the movies, and he had this ring, and he, it was his. It's mine, my precious. This is the way that we look at money sometimes. It's mine. I want this. It's all mine. It's all for me, and I want it for myself. That's obviously a caricature, but that is partly the way that we look at it. This, I want for me. And the opposite of Gollum greed is generosity. That's the way that God attacks this kind of greed of hoarding it for myself, is he says, actually, you're better off pushing it out. Give it away. There's your freedom right there. I mean, Gollum is this perfect analogy of the danger and the destruction of that kind of greed. And he says, no, give it away. But that's not what I wanted to look at this morning. We're going to um, touch on this in a couple of weeks. There's another type of greed that I like to call the Rockefeller greed. John D. Rockefeller, has anyone heard of this guy? Yeah, John D. Rockefeller was, lived in around 1900. So, and around 1900, he had amassed over a billion dollars. He was America's first billionaire. And given the rates of inflation and that sort of thing, he's still considered one of the wealthiest men in modern history. And one day, a reporter asked him, how much is enough? And his answer represents the attitude we want to talk about today. He says, just a little more. Just a little more. Isn't that, isn't that I mean, we, we see that, right? We see that kind of attitude at play. Is that I just, I just want more. And we have our, our sights 
set on this, this next level that will make our lives better. And we want, if I can just get up to this level of income, or if I can buy this particular thing, I will reach that level of freedom and happiness. And then we get there and wait, there's another thing. I didn't see that before, and now I want to get there. And it becomes less and less about the, the, the freedom, about the ends. Gaining more money is not the end. Anymore. Like, it's not the means to an end. It is the end. And we just want to keep getting more and getting more and getting more. And honestly, that, I mean, we're kind of picking on Rockefeller here. This is not just a rich person problem. Right? We look at the rich people and they just keep amassing more money and they get up higher and higher and higher. And, and I've heard people say in quotes on TV and, and from people who say it's not really about the money at this point. It's about keeping score. The money just helps keep score. And we just want to be more than the other person. But this really affects all of us. In fact, Dad, can you um, pop up that Robert Skidelsky quote? It's further ahead in my slides, so I'm just going to need him to pop that in there. Really, this guy's a, a British sort of um, econo economist, and he says, it's not just that we want more, but that we want more than others, who at the same time want more than us. This fuels an endless race, right? So we can see this concept of greed at play, and we can usually see it. Can you pop, pop us back where we were before? That'd be great. Um, we usually can see it in other people, and, and we don't really want to see it in ourselves, but I, I see it in myself. If I look at my heart and the way that I think about what I have, what I want, I can see this attitude coming in. And so God sees this attitude as well, and his counter to this, the opposite that he wants to push us in, not so much generosity, although that's not going to hurt, but contentment. This word contentment. There's a little passage that we are going to look at today that really unpacks this idea of greed versus contentment. And I don't like using the word greed because it's an ugly word and it sounds like I'm coming down very hard and heavy on everybody and, and that we're talking about this evil sort of thing. But really what we're talking about is this attitude in our hearts of just wanting more and wanting more than what we have now. So, anyway, there's a small passage in the book of 1 Timothy that unpacks us. 1 Timothy is a letter written by this master church planter, Paul. Some of you would have heard of Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he writes this letter to this guy, Timothy. It's like his understudy. And he had asked Timothy to start some churches and to set up leadership and to take care of some things in places where he had started some churches. And he starts talking about these false leaders, uh, these false teachers, these guys are going to come into the church and are going to stare everybody off in the wrong direction. And he says, they're just, they're, they're really full of rubbish. And they, they sort of get into meaningless arguments about stuff that doesn't matter. And their hearts are corrupted. And everything is kind of wrong with these guys. And one of the things that he mentions, it's very interesting. In chapter 6, verse 5, before we get into the passage, he's talking about these people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. Right, so he's not holding back on them. And he says, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. So apparently there were these church leaders who were just pretending to be church leaders and pretending to speak the gospel so that they could make money off people. It's a good thing that doesn't happen anymore, right? 
For those of you on the podcast, I had a uh, large eye roll to underscore my sarcasm there. So he's talking about these people. There are people out there, even in Christian circles, who are using godliness as a means to, great, to, to gain wealth. And then he says this, really interesting. He starts in in verse 6. He says, actually, this is kind of true. Godliness is great wealth when it's paired with contentment. He's actually, you were kind of on the right track, but you got skewed away on the money side of things. Godliness with contentment is actually great wealth. And I love the fact that he has paired contentment with godliness. These two interesting little bedfellows here. And I want to get back into that a little bit later and unpack it. But he moves on and he starts talking about some of the arguments. He's backing up his statement here. And he talks about this concept of greed. And first, he talks about both sides of the coin. He talks about contentment first and why we should have that, and then jumps into the dangers of greed. And it includes one of the most famous and misquoted verses in the whole Bible. And you'll recognize it probably when we get to it. But anyway, he starts in verse 7 and 8. He says, after all, and he's talking about contentment, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And it's a really interesting concept, which, again, interestingly, most people, especially nowadays, would agree with that first statement. You, we didn't bring anything into this world, we're not taking anything with us. Most people would agree with that, Christian or not. Unless you're an ancient Egyptian where they buried their possessions with them so they can take it on to the next life. Uh, most of us kind of realize that mo the stuff that we have now, it's for now only. Right? And when we die, that's it. But what happens next changes everything and actually cuts to the heart of this entire discussion. And it cuts to the heart of why there's a disparity between the way God wants us to move and the way the world moves. The question is not whether we can take stuff with us. The question is what happens then after we die? Because if you believe that you die and that's it... It's not going to pause or bring back greed. It's actually going to churn it up and put it on turbo boost. Because we've got 80-odd years on this planet. That's it. I might as well do everything that I can to live as much as I can, to gain as much as I can, and to fit and cram as much as I can into those 80 years. Because this is all I've got. And that's a form of greed. You know, when it comes to money, that makes a lot of sense. I want to buy all of these things. I want to get the big boat. I want to get the big house. I want to get the nice cars. I want to get the, the holidays and the trips and the blah, 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 blah. We want to pour all of this in. But there's a greed that, that uh, the movie clip talked about too, about a greed for life, a greed for love, a greed for all of the things, this whole YOLO idea. You only live once. You've got to cram as much experience into those few years that we've been given as possible. We need more. We need as much as we can. And it brings everything right back onto us. What can I get out of this world? What can I get out of this life? Everything, I've got to cram more and more and more. But if you do believe that something else happens, if you believe the biblical story that we live our 80 years and then we pass through death into an eternal something, 
then it changes the perspective about the way that we live our lives in this 80 years, right? Because now we're trying to cram as much stuff in there, but now we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is this going to cost? The things that I'm trying to get more of now, is that costing me in the next phase of my existence? Basically, it's the question, am I mortgaging my eternal future in order to get my pleasures now? And that changes the dynamic, doesn't it? It's not just I've got to cram as much in. In fact, it's like, actually, I want to invest as much as I can, not in this now, but in the next, my eternity. You know, we do this with our kids, right? We teach them as much as we can. Don't waste your pocket money on this little thing now that's going to break and it's useless and it's only going to last you a little bit of time. Instead, save up your money and get something better later, right? That's the basic concept we give, and then we turn around and don't do that in our own lives because we kind of like we want to get this stuff now instead of investing in perhaps what is going to be greater in the long run. And so he says, be content, sort of purge this greed, this more, more, more attitude out of your life because. What you are gaining right now is only good for a few years. Then it's gone, and maybe you pass it on to your kids, and they get it for 80 years, and then it's gone. But what are you losing down the road? The Bible says, what good is the whole world if you're going to forfeit your soul, right? 80 years, let's put this perspective in it. So it's not just we can't take it with us. It's a we can't take it with us, but we are moving on to something else. So let's keep our eyes on that something else. And then he says, so if we have, you know, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content with that. And I like that because it puts this, um, what's the word I'm going to use? We, we kind of, the reaction, the overreaction that we have to we don't want greed is that we don't get anything. And that I've got to remove everything from my life. But he says, you do need food and clothing, and we can translate that in, in modern terms to, you know, the things that we need to live in our society, you know. We need a house. We need to live inside. You know, we need food. We need clothes on our backs. We need transportation to get to the jobs that we have, blah, blah, blah. But be content when we have that is, is the attitude that he has. Not that we can't have other things. Again, he's not saying that either. But he's saying that attitude of I need to have more versus God has blessed me with and I'm able to get and that's great. But when we're in communication with God about what it is that we want, what it is that we need, and we're okay with whatever God tells us. Does that make sense? All right. All right. Then he kind of goes into the dangers. Oh, we don't need that one. I actually, sorry, I wanted to um, touch on this because there's this really cool Proverbs, uh, uh, in Proverbs, um, this prayer that kind of helps with this contentment thing that shows both sides of this. It says, oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. That's always good. And second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich... I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. 
Give me that sweet spot where money is no longer the core distraction in my life. Right? Allow me to have what I need so that I'm not struggling and consumed by the fact, and we know that people in this country are consumed by the struggle because they don't have what they need. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the worry trust attitude that we're going to talk about next week. But put us in that sweet spot, Lord, and show us what that sweet spot is, that we have what we need, and we don't have too much, we don't have too little. All right. So he's talked about this is why we should have contentment, and then he talks about this is why we should worry about greed, and this contains that nice little quote. He says, but people who long to be rich, as that, that phrase is really important, we desire to have more money, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. We're not just talking about spiritual things here, we're talking about physically as well. We can see this play out in our life, in the world around us. People are striving for money and putting money first, end up with broken relationships, fractured families, fighting children over inheritances. They pass on that desire for, for money. They end up sometimes like risking it all and gambling it away. And, and there's just a, a sort of whole host of problems with that, plus all of the spiritual stuff as well. And here's the quote. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Heard that one before? You may have heard it as... For money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that one? Yeah, that's the misquote. He's not saying money is the root of all evil, as in money is evil. It's not. Money actually has no ethical or moral quality to it at all. It's a tool. It's a thing. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil. There are other issues at play as well. But, there's just, but it's still a very powerful statement. He says, in some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. All right. There's another verse that actually kind of talks a little bit about this too. I think this was next. Yeah, James. James is another uh, writer in the book of the, in the Bible. He writes his own book, Book of James. He doesn't pull any punches. And he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires within you? You want what you don't have. See that greed thing coming in here again? You want what you don't have, and so you scheme and you kill to get it. That's extreme. Most of us would probably fit in the scheming part rather than the killing part. But again, it's not uncommon in our world for this to happen. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Very human. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You, only, you want only what will give you pleasure. And then he really puts the hammer down. He says, you adulterers. Ouch. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? i say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. See, again, we've got this attitude at play when we want more and more and more. When we have that Rockefeller greed in our lives, where we just, we're not satisfied with what we have, we need more. The focus becomes on us, and we become more like this world that has rejected God. See, that comes hand in hand, doesn't it? 
And you see then where this partnership between the word contentment and godliness, they come to play here. They work together. You almost can't have one without the other. Because contentment says, I have what I need. God, you are in control. Whatever you have allowed in my life, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try and get a job, support my family. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to use the skills you gave me. And I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to put a balance in my life that says I'm going to look after my family emotionally as well as physically. I'm going to pour time into that. I'm going to rest the way that you have told me to rest. And I'm going to do all of the things you've asked me to do. I'm going to invest in your family the way you asked me to invest in your family, the church. I'm going to try and do what you've asked me to do. When I've done all of those things... Whatever lands in my bank account at the end of that time, when I've lived my balanced, God-fueled life, that I will be happy with. That is my lot that you have given to me, and I'm good with that. If you want me to step forward and try for more, then I will. If you want me to step back and try for less, then I will. But whatever you have allowed into this situation, into the scope of my week, I will have that. When we have that attitude... There is a surrender there, isn't there? It's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. I'm surrendering myself to him. That sounds an awful lot like godliness. That's the core of what godliness is. It's a surrender to God. You be in charge. You sit on the throne of my life, and you tell me what's best for me because you're smarter than I am. And you get it, and you know what's best for me. So I'm going to listen to that. And then I'm going to follow along. That's why contentment and godliness are just so much the same. But when we get caught up in this drive for more, and I get caught up in this all the time. You know, every time I drive past, you know, a a Holden Ute or something like that, I'm like, and we're back. Okay. (laughs) You know, there's that moment, and we do that. And there's, there's humanity here. You know, there's forgiveness, there's grace and all of that sort of stuff. But what am I doing with that thought afterwards, right? Like, what am I doing with that? You know, what am I actually doing physically in my life to chase? What am I chasing? Those sorts of things. So that contentment and that godliness come together. There's another verse that sort of really sums it all up, and I want to kind of um, head towards a point here. Um, And that's in Philippians. Here's our Skidelsky again. This Philippians verse that really sums this up. This is Paul again. He's talking about his own life, and he says... Not that I was ever in need, because he's talking about people who had supplied some things for him. He said, not that I was ever in need, because I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and he did both. And here's the secret. For I can do everything through Christ. He gave his life over to Christ, who gives me strength. When he's in charge, I can do anything, and he will provide what I need. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week as well. Okay. I've been jumping around, so I apologize. Okay. So the question then is, of course, if contentment is the goal, And we want to rid ourselves of all of this consuming desire for more. How do we do that? How can we foster contentment 
in our lives. This is on the worksheet as well if you guys are interested in plugging that in. I'd love to hear a little bit from you before. I've got, I've got three things that I think can help us, but I want to hear from you guys as well since we're doing the whole helping each other. Does anyone have an idea of how we can foster contentment in our lives? Thoughts? It doesn't have to be like, I've done this and I'm awesome, but it could be a, I've heard this is a good idea that I don't really do in my life, you know. Nate? Yep, gratitude. for. In fact, you know what? That's number one. Focus on what we have instead of what we don't have. Well done. Ten points for you. Yeah, so gratitude, that's a really good attitude. In fact, this is what you were saying, Amanda, wasn't it? In communion. Um, used to be confession and now it's praise. Thank you for what you've done. And that helps center ourselves on him. Instead of lifting us up, we're focusing on him. So same, same concept can apply. Yeah, very good. Anyone else got one? It's okay if you don't. I just thought, you know, I don't want to always be the only one talking. Well, how about this one? Ask God for strength and peace. You know, we kind of say, oh, yeah, God, you want me to live this kind of life. You want this attitude in my life. I better get stuck into that. And then we go away from him. <laughs> and we say, like, I'm going to be better at this. I'm going to be better at this. And God's like, what are you doing? Like, I want you to do this, and I'm going to help you. So come on back, come on back, talk to me. I've, I've got this Holy Spirit guy who's going to live in your life and give you power. You know, I want to sort of unleash him on you. I want to give you strength. I want to show you how to do this. It's a partnership. In fact, that's the whole point of contentment is focus on him. When we take ourselves away and then we try to have contentment without him, we're not actually having contentment at all, are we? We're just still focused on ourselves. So anyway, yeah, ask him. And then very, very practically... We can find freedom when we take control of our budget and find a balanced budget, okay? So this is very, very, very practical, and it ties in very, very nicely with the CAP course that I'm running starting tomorrow night. Still space is open, I'm just saying, if you want to. Um, but there's this idea where if we, oftentimes the stress of our, our and the, sort of this greed again, I don't want to use the word greed in this context because it's not always like, I want more, 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 more. But it's like, I'm so scared of my financial situation, I need more to cover the bills. I need more to figure this out. And it may be a reality in your life that, that you don't have enough. And maybe you need help. And that's fine. The church is here for that sort of thing. But maybe it's a case of, I just I feel so swamped by this because I don't actually know what's happening in my finances. And that's common and, and human as well. But when we find out, when we sit down, and this is what the CAP course will do, is sit down and here's all of the things that I spend and all of the things, like right now this is everything that's going out and everything that's coming in. And once you know that, it's like, wow, okay, all right, I'm aware. And then we can start fiddling and working it. And when you get to that place of a balanced budget where what God has allowed in my life or what he's calling me to maybe insert or detract or whatever, when I get that right and it fits with my expenses and I've cut things down so that it all fits in, I can breathe, right? And then there's this freedom and I can be more content because no one's going to be knocking on my door with an overdue payment next month. And it'll take some time to get to that place potentially. But that's a good step to take, and that helps us to be content when we're actually not stressing and spinning our wheels trying to get things to work. 
Does that all make sense? All right. If you want to find out more about the CAP course starting tomorrow, um, tomorrow evening, it's three Mondays, and it's, oh, look at that. Nice. Got it up on the screen. Yeah, you go. You're getting it. You're a natural. Um, free. It's completely free, and it's completely judgment-free as well. So it's not like, a, oh, you're coming because you're bad with money. <laughs> no. Uh, you're coming because you want to become better with money, right? Um, and so talk to me. I'm sort of facilitating it. I'm not running it per se because I'm not that good with money either. Um, but we'll watch some videos from the cat people who are really good with money and we'll figure all of that out.